cliffcentral.com. It is time for Collectomania, one of my favorite things in the week, and we get to do this on a Monday morning. We get to speak to really interesting people, and I promise you it's never, ever been the case that we've had anyone on the show. How's that stamp collector dude last week? He was phenomenal. That was so – I mean, we could have him on once a week, honestly. Yeah. Absolutely. He was telling us such great stories about where these stamps come from, what kinds of deeds they were part of, um, how you can tell a whole story about what actually happened with a piece of land, for example, with all these stamps. So today is going to be no exception because Collectomania, of course, brought to you by the South African Gold Coin Exchange and the Scoin Shop, is uh, always on the lookout for uh, someone interesting, someone who's collecting things, some, someone who can teach us about collecting. And a man that we've managed to track down today is also the first person who actually has a shop, a, a full-on shop where you can go and see where it, you know he's got a bunch of really interesting things. And you might find something there that could start your collection. His name is Clyde hmm. Terry, and he's one of the leading antique dealers in South Africa. He's the man behind the legendary Johannesburg antique store, Clyde on 4th in Melville. And he joins us today. Hey, Clyde, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. There he is, Clyde Terry, ladies and gentlemen, the leading antique dealer in Melville. He's also someone who's well-known to anybody who's been in Melville and has shopped at Clyde on 4th, uh, a legendary Johannesburg antique store. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show this morning to talk about collections. You're going to make me blush, but thank you very much. Anyway, this is a great intro. Well, Clyde, I mean, I can even see, are you in your office at the moment or are you at home? No, I came to the shop because you wanted good Wi-Fi, so here I am. There we go. You, you have good Wi-Fi, but you've also, I can see a, a couple of paintings there, and I'm sure you'll give us a little look around. Um, how long has Clyde on 4th been, been in, in operation? Since 1991, so um, you guys can do the maths. I can't. Stuff so you're there. older than you're older than South Africa's democracy, basically. You're about there. We go. Basically, 31 years old. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive. So, Clyde, tell us because obviously, as an antique dealer, you have to have an interest in these things. It would be uh, bizarre if you had a, an antique sto- store and you didn't care about antiques. But collections are such an interesting way of gaining insight into someone's personality. And I'm sure for you, collecting things and being interested in certain collections started long before you opened up the shop. Yes, absolutely. When I was a kid, I I grew up in uh, what most people would relate to Margate, but it was Ramsgate, a few minutes from Margate. And um, there was a little shop there called Ramsgate Relics and Antiques. So mm-hmm. whenever my mom was late picking me up from the bus, she knew I would be in that little antique shop, for, you know, nosing around. And there was an old lady there, Mrs. Quarry. Well, she wasn't that old then. So, yeah, she had a great shop. And she used to go to Taiwan and uh, buy things off the ships to sell yeah. here on the south coast of Natal. And she just filled my head with really fantastical stories. So I think uh, it did start at a very young age for me. And I do think that antique collecting as a dealer, you are passion driven from something in your life. You know, you have to be because it's a very passionate industry to be in. And what was it that you, you saw at the shop? What kept you interested? Because most kids don't go into, um, you know, antique shops. Most kids hate it when their parents say, oh, we've got to go to the antique store. We've got to the furniture store or we're going to go and look at these little nicks and necks. What, what made you interested as a child? I think generally speaking, it was Mrs. Corey was an incredibly interesting person, you know, so she kept uh, – 
telling stories of what she had found. And I think that's the, the history side of things that had me quite intrigued, you know, where things came from. And uh, right. you know, I remember she had an Art Deco Claris Cliff tea set there that was for really, really very cheap at the time. And she was like, she hates this Art Deco stuff. It's not her thing, but it keeps selling. And, you know, so we had some great stories to tell always. And, as a young person, I guess it was quite magical to be involved in all the stories that she constantly sort of weaved in my mind every day when I was in there. That's beautiful. Now, let's just quickly start off by, by talking about the, sh- the shop, your actual store, because I think that's, that's maybe a great place for people to interact in, in, in your world and come and see what kinds of things you sell. Do a lot of people uh, who... Uh, can't get rid of stuff because they don't know its value. Just say to you here, come to our, our dead grand's house and take what you want or tell us what you'll pay for it. And that's where you find some of these things because there are treasures everywhere, right? Well, I always believe there are treasures everywhere, absolutely. And people generally, we're living in quite a hard economy at the moment. So people think everything is worth money right now until they found out either way, you know, and I think that's the right mind frame to be in when you're wanting to sell something is believe that it's worth something, find out the value, sell it to the person who's prepared to pay you the most and, you know, do some homework yourself as well so that you're aware what you're selling and then you know what you, you need to do from there onwards. Have you ever watched that show? Um, they do this antiques road show uh, in Britain, and I'm sure you've seen it, Clyde. I mean, they, they, they always find these people. It's actually a hilarious show, even if you're not interested in antiques, because these people come out of their little villages or their little hovels or wherever they're from, and they come on the show and they go, I've just got this lovely tea set for my grandmother. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure it's worth hundreds of thousands of pounds because it's very old. And she told us it was tremendously precious. And then obviously one of these valuers comes on and they go, uh, it's worth about, you know, two pounds 50. And really, we'd be better off just crushing it and making, you know, uh, a mosaic. A mosaic out of it. It, it, How do you you crush people's dreams? I'm quite shattered. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure you do this. I'm sure you have to tell people. They come in and they say to you, I've got this little bowl that my granny gave me, and it's really, really very precious. It's been in the family for, you know, at least 50 years, and you have to be the one to say to them, I'm really sorry, but I can't sell that. There's nothing I can do with that. Take it home and, and think about your gran. Well, I think it is the business of being, you know, honest with people about that type of thing because the antique industry is very cash intensive when you're constantly buying stock. So you have to sort of be quite forthright and say, listen, this is not what we buy, but you can go there and you might get 10 rand or you need to go, you know, there's Melville's full of charity shops. So I'm constantly sending people to the charity shops here. <laughs> so, you know, not 10 rand. <laughs> it's, it's the way some things have to go. But I, I think on those lines, quite often I've found in the history of being an antique dealer is people add value to the the one item that probably they think has the i mean values there in the item they think has no value so if you go into their home and there's a tabletop full of stuff uh and you make an offer on everything invariably 
they're going to sort of ask, well, how much is this particular item worth? And that's normally the item the granny or the mother said, you only sell this item if you're desperate for money type of thing. Otherwise, you never, ever let it go because this is right. the thing that's worth the most money. And I often get the greatest kick out of saying, please keep it. You know, <laughs> I'll take everything else. You can keep that item because yeah, it's, right. worth, it's actually quite worthless, you know. So it, it is um, – Quite often, history of family plays a huge role because of what I've just said. Granny mm. said, never, ever sell this item, you know. Right. And then the heartbreaking thing, and I think that's where the roadshow really works, is when somebody goes in there with that great expectation and then uh, they're normally knocked to the ground by one of those experts quite quickly. And then somebody goes in there with no expectation, if you've watched the program. They have no anticipation of value, and suddenly it's worth millions of pounds, you know. So it's normally the unsuspecting item that gets the money. So let's Pro- just- yeah, probably the table that all of the knickknacks are on is Ooh, yeah. hidden right. gem. Right, exactly. Yeah. Sitting there and gathering dust while all this crap is on top of it. So, Clyde, when it, when it comes to your own collection, because you have the store, but then you have your own collection too, do you sometimes uh, find yourself being torn between whether to keep something for yourself or whether to put it on sale? Because uh, that would be a big problem for me. I used to be like that, but over the years, maybe I've become a bit jaded to that. I have just, I've sort of focused my collection quite well at home. I collect young Dingman's art and I've sort of decided on the, my six or seven favorite pieces of furniture that I love the most. I've sold the rest. And when it comes to knickknacks, I'm not a great knickknack uh, person. In one of my homes, I was. But I think the shop is too overpowering for me on that level when there's just so much stuff in the shop. I can't possibly live like that at home. But the younger collectors very much like that today. Uh, You know, they're not wanting Granny's cupboard full, full, full of... uh, Items from the past, including um, wedding cake from 1901 and all of that. They're, they're, wanting, they're wanting things in their homes that they're going to use and enjoy and love. So a younger collector might buy a beautiful table, a few decanters, a few picture frames. They'll go out and they'll buy a fantastic piece of art that's good to, what, you know, that they want. Uh, but they're not going to put a thousand paintings on a wall. Right. Absolutely. So let's go through some of these things that uh, that you've sent us pictures of, and you can maybe just talk to us about these. And you also can tell us whether they're in the store or whether they form part of your own personal collection. What is this lovely cabinet and where does it come from? Well, it's English and it's a Victorian walnut chiffonier. Mm. So it's got its original marble slab. Most of what I sent you is from, from the shop, to be honest with you, because I didn't have many images in my own collection on my okay. computer yesterday. So oh, this no. is a beautiful walnut chiffonier. Right. And it's Victorian, so it's late 1800s. And it's okay. beautiful so- walnut wood, very ornately carved. Yeah. So uh, the Victorian period went through quite an ornate period of his- in the history of furniture making. A lot of people uh, don't know very much about history, so they're not sure when to attribute what uh, what kind of, of, of 
artwork too. I mean, it must be interesting too for you if you're a fan of history to be able to look at something and go, well, this is Georgian or this is, uh, you know, this is a Queen Anne type thing or this is Victorian or whatever it might be. For me, that also helps give it some, some context and some character. Many pieces have transitional detail and other pieces are quite pure. So, you know, you have to look at, there was a period maybe between the Victorian Edwardian period, the Georgian, the Victorian period where, um, look and feel sort of like were adapted along the way. So quite often you get pieces that have a little bit of telltale signs of both, but you have to go with the very predominant feel of a period because Georgian was very clean, Victorian was quite ornate, and the Regency period was quite streamlined. And then the Art period, once again, was very, very, um, well, they call it the period where furniture and items grew from the tables or the floors. So it was a very organic period of the history of furniture and collectibles. It's almost like the piece has to organically sort of like grow out of the piece of furniture it's standing on. And then that's art. And then Art Deco came along, and it was a very cubist period of the history of antiques. So, what is this? This is a lighter, is it? What is it? No, it's actually, a, it's an English calling card case with uh, very, very, very um, detailed in the Chinese style. So it's got Chinese bamboo, but it's huh. English made, and it shows, um, you know. The English porcelain factories and the English silversmiths at one point were very um, were being taken over by the Chinese. Uh, a huge amount of Chinese potteries and silver was being imported into e- England, and the the English silversmiths and Chinese uh, china makers couldn't actually keep up. So they they then realised that times had changed and they had to sort of adapt. So they started bringing in the chinoiserie feel to everything. And hence, this is an English piece of silver, but it's got a very, very detailed Chinese feel to it. Chinoiserie, I love that. (laughs) Well, chinoiserie is an interesting word because um, it pertains to a lot of Chinese things, but it also pertains to a period after the recession where... um, the, the China market and the porcelain market became very, very uh, sort of gay and happy, and ev- all, a lot of China was over-covered with flower detail, and that was also once again called chinoiserie. So uh, it was very, very happy. It was transferware bought, bought over from China, and it was just bowls and plates and tea sets really covered with very happy floral, like you've wandered into the West Coast Park at the right time of the year. I, I love that you could give something like this to someone as a as a, a present. It's it's a beautiful little card holder. We still occasionally people still use business cards, right? So there's, there's a modern application for this now, and you could have something that's truly lovely like this. Well, I think, Gareth, where you've hit the nail on the head once again is that's what people are loving to do today. And it's quite a lovely feeling I have in the shop sometimes. I have a gentleman coming in at the at the moment, and he's buying Roald Dalton character jugs, which are, uh, I shouldn't really be saying this, but they're really quite ugly little things. And <laughs> he's he's decided to turn them into pen stands, and he's bought like maybe 10 or 12 of these. And he keeps giving them, it started with his grandchildren, and yeah. now he's 
giving them as corporate gifts full of pens to climb. <laughs> and I, I just actually love his mind, you know, because I think as an antique dealer, part of what we need to try and find is a modern-day use for something because the young generation wants to use and love things. I can sell a Royal Albert tea set to somebody today that's never been used, but yeah. it will be used within the next 24 hours because this generation want to love, enjoy, appreciate. If something breaks, they're not too phased about it. Whereas the right. older generation, if something broke, they were quite, you know, my mom included, they would get so upset about a breakage of a plate or something. But today, I think people just want to love, they want to enjoy. And, you know, along, South Africa came out of um, lockdown with a huge high tea drinking uh, period and it's still going through it where people just want to buy uh, porcelain teacups and saucers and have high tea parties at home. Maybe right. because couldn't go out. They just decided to have these parties at home. So we were just selling hundreds of tea sets all the time for people. And then uh, this trend came along of Harlequin tea sets, which is basically some, you know, buying 10 different cups and sauces and uh, sort of like mismatching them and not really worried then if you break one, you're not concerned because you're not breaking a set that way. We had, uh, we had someone on just a couple of weeks ago and mm. she was sharing her tea sets and she had a table full of them. And she also said exactly what you've just said now. She doesn't mind if one or two of them break along the way, but she does want to use them. They're not going to sit in a cabinet and gather dust, which is such a good point. What is, while we're talking about tea sets, is this is an example of one of the kinds of tea sets that you've been selling? Yeah, now this is um, to some people quite a grotesque pattern actually, but it's called Senorita. It was made for quite a short period of time. Um, Maybe it's quite obvious why, but it's a very popular pattern with uh, Royal Albert tea cap collectors at the moment because it's quite a rare pattern. So yeah. um, its desirability is quite high. Very nice. Uh, what is this? While we're talking about those Royal Dalton character mugs, this this looks beautifully painted, but it's it also looks like it's a little bit um, uh, a little bit of a strange. Color combination from the pinks and purples to the greens and yellows. Slightly what's, garish. <laughs> yeah, what's going on there? So what you're really getting is typical of the Art Nouveau period. You're getting mm -hmm. uh, a, a piece that's growing organically from a table. It's by a maker called Royal Bun, and it's porcelain and it's hand-painted. And you're getting that growth. You're getting those flowers there. And I think the top is meant to really typify a sky period or a background of arches or something like that. You can never really know, but it's quite beautifully decorated. The orchids are all hand-painted below there. And it's one of those unique items because normally porcelain clocks can be quite um, bland in a way, but this mm -hmm. one is overly decorated. It's from a what, German factory. What, what's, what sort of um, price would this fetch and, and what would you sell it for? Well, this one costs about 5,000 rand, but it has wow. been serviced and the clock is working and all that type of thing, which mm. adds up to the cost of the item. Yeah. All right. Uh, what is this corgi doing? What is this? <laughs> well, I could tell you a fantastic story because 
you like to joke around. So I I came out of lockdown, not quite sure how to operate my business. So I I heard that um, people were pumping stuff onto um, Marketplace. So I thought, okay, let me try this Facebook Marketplace. So I put this particular dog on Facebook Marketplace and he's Roald Dalton. He's made in 1922, and he's by a particular porcelain maker. And he's got a name after a famous dog because the Roald Dalton factory made um, all the animals were generally after dogs that had won awards and stuff like that. And <laughs> my first question in Marketplace was, can I come and collect the dog? So I said, well, actually, we're still under lockdown, so we're having to courier items to people. We, you know, we're in this this new section where the business can be open, but we can't have people right. in the shop. And she said, well, okay, I'll contact you later on. And a few months later, my phone rings, and she says, well, can I come and see the dog? I'm in Melville. So she comes into the shop and uh, we have the dog on the counter and she says no 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 i was i was wanting a real dog oh god (laughs) but it doesn't stop there i leave the dog there and a while later i get a a message from a guy in clarkstorp and he says um sir can you tell me has this dog had all its inoculations Oh, man. I'm quite stupefied because it's added under antiques and collectibles. I don't know if Marketplace sells pets. I really don't know. (laughs) So I then think, how can I answer him? So I say, yes, it had all its inoculations from 1915 to 1922. And then it just went silent. So kudos to Roald Dalton for making dogs that are so realistic. But it's one of the things that I put out to people where Roald Dalton figurines and character jugs very hard to sell. But for some reason, the Roald Dalton animals, people do like to collect them. I think it's, it's one of the things we're all very attached to our pets. And part they, of them, they must have been, they must have made an absolute fortune in the 1920s around there because it seems to me that there are women of a certain age uh, who who maybe many of them aren't around anymore in South Africa, but they used to collect these things and some of them were really really, I mean they they're just a dime a dozen. Is that why they're hard some, to... Some of them are, are full size. I mean, I, it's difficult huge. to tell from that picture if it's a little trinket or if it's a full size. Well, this is a small version. Yeah, you get three or four versions size-wise. Um, so he's a small version, this one. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think sometimes I... the bigger ones lose the... Um, this one, you, you know, it has more sort of feel of the real one. Sometimes mm-hmm. the bigger ones sort of lose that. Um that's just, yeah. Yeah. What, what is I this remember here? my gran had um, two tall, life-size, very upright and proud um, Dalmatians. <laughs> um, I seem to remember those from – so that person that you're speaking of, Gareth, yeah, it's your, they your exist. your grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Clyde, what about, what about this? This is a perfume bottle, also Art Deco, right? Well, in actual fact, I put that there because it's uh, we import these from France, but they they were developed during the war, and lots of the antique factories made them. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of Galet made them, Limoges made them, um, lots of famous famous 
factories made these for a French factory. It's now called Maison de Ber- Maison Burger. Most people know it as Lumper Burger. And they're home fragrance infusers. We sell quite a lot of them in the shop. But uh, I put this there just to really show how the Art Nouveau style lives on in a strange way um, because this is made by the Hummel factory, which is one of the famous factories in the antique industry, Cisco Hummel. And this is still made by the, that factory for the Lampe Burger factory and um, once again bringing in the old styles because it is an old thing they do. I think I sent you a contemporary one as well to show you how they sort of crossing over from the antique collector who would buy this particular one, which is called the Four Seasons. And then then I gave you another one, I think, which shows you the transition to contemporary. And when I was in, in, in Paris a few years ago, all the antique shops smell like heaven on earth. It's quite unbelievable. And I discovered that this is how they make the antique shops smell so good is they all stock these fragrance burners. Beautiful. Mm. So what is this book here? This looks like something that should be, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, kind of a superhero legend or something, you know, where someone discovers the secrets to eternity. What is this a Bible? Um, well, some people could call it the secrets to eternity. It's a Bible. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an old Dutch Bible dating to 1881. And, um, interestingly enough, sorry, German Bible. So interestingly enough, all the silver mounts are German, uh, and it just shows you how decorative things were at the time. The Bible sort of class, the, has these clasps going up the side that lock. And, you know, it's, it's quite an interesting item. Lots of people do collect Bibles today. South Africa, a lot of people collect the Dutch Bibles more so than this one because this is uh, a German one, yeah. Beautiful. And, and then obviously these would sometimes be inscribed by the families that used to have them with, uh, you know, Often you have the history of the family inside. Yes. Who owned it for how many generations would be written inside in that. Yeah. Now I know we could probably spend hours and hours and I know if I were in your shop, I would spend hours and hours looking at everything, but we've got, we've got time for just one or two more here. What, what is this beautiful piece of jewelry? Well, it's a love knot bangle in in solid gold. So I quite like it because uh, I think quite a lot of people are looking for symbolic jewelry in their lives, you know, so mm. it symbolizes love, being the love knot. And it's, you know, gold has come back in quite a big way. So mm. uh, gold has this essential metal value, plus it has its antique value. So in the in the antique industry, I always advise people, don't go and scrap your jewelry because there you're going to just get your meltdown value. Some pieces yeah. are worth meltdown value. But if you have genuine antique jewelry, just go and find out what it's worth in the antique industry. And Is similar there- to silver as well. You know, some small pieces of silver are worth 100 rand in meltdown, but thousands of rands in terms of antique value. Phenomenal piece of advice there and really, really useful to people. So rather than rushing to go and sell it to a jeweler who's going to melt it down, perhaps come in and, and speak to people like Clyde who know these things and can look at it and say, well, actually, maybe worth your while to try and sell it rather. Um, just as, as one last thing, because it's always an interesting question to throw to, to collectors. And since you are now mostly involved in the shop and not so much in collecting yourself, even though you have 
said that you have certain things that you still prioritize in your collection. Anything that, that you've, in your years of running the shop, anything that's come in there and you've thought, oh my God, this is absolutely extraordinary. This is probably the most valuable or the most special or the most historically um, relevant thing that I've seen in, in South Africa. What's the thing that you always think about and, and that gives you the most joy when you consider that it came through your shop? Well, I have three stories along that line. I mean, uh, years and years ago, I went to an estate in Ethel Oakland's area and um, the the house, the contents of the house were actually quite boring. Um, mm-hmm. But there was one incredible piece of furniture, you know, a piece of furniture that is actually, for me, quite mind-blowing because you don't get a lot of Art Nouveau furniture in South Africa. And it was just a spectacular Liberty Art Nouveau display cabinet, absolutely beautiful. And um, during the conversation, I sort of said, listen, nothing yes has value, but the cabinet is something that you really get good money from. And the family said, well, well, just before the the father died, he gave it to the the nurse. Hmm. I so I was like really really upset because I thought, well, I, I don't know how I'm going to get this piece of furniture, you know. So during the conversation, I sort of managed to get the nurse's name, and phoned the nurse and said, "Do you really want this piece of furniture? Because you know it's a quite a valuable piece of furniture." And she sold that to me. So you know, I just sort of like pursued that until I got it because it was such an incredible piece. And um, I still know the man today who bought that piece of furniture. Then many, many years later, I was was living in a building in Parktown North and I was invited to tea in a lovely old lady's home. And she had a vase of plastic flowers in the corner of her lounge and you couldn't see the vase. It was just pouring with these beautiful, beautiful roses. <laughs> and I sort of at some point bent down to do a shoelace. And I, as I came up, I noticed this most incredible vase hidden by these flowers, you know. And I said to her, Mr. Finkelstein, do you know this vase that you've got all these flowers in is really, really a valuable vase, you know. Huh. And she said, Yes, my dear, you know, I know it's a, uh, I can't remember what she said it was. And I said, no, it's definitely not. It's a, it's a Moorcraft vase from, from England. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she invited me to tea a few days later and all the flowers were strewn all over the table and the vase was there. And she said, right, tell me about my vase, you know, and (laughs) I'm going quite a long time now, but uh, we ended up selling the vase for her for about 25,000 rand at the time. You know? <laughs> Good uh, it's just one of those interesting things that um, sometimes you sell something that you do regret selling, and those yeah. are two of the items that I sort of often think I should have kept for myself, you know, that uh, mm. I love so much I pursued them quite a lot to get them. Uh, but in my mind, I knew a client I wanted to sell them to at the same time. So mm. uh, it's quite a difficult game to play, which is why when we started this conversation, I sort of know what art I want in my home now. Sometimes I'll upscale it. I'll sell, yeah. uh, I will see a painting I really want by Young Dingermans, and then I'll sell two or three to get that one. That's uh, exactly what we to do. 
I've only got so much wall space in my home and I don't want to do, live that overcluttered life, you know. Yeah. So I just I can't live in a shop like this full of stuff. Mm. No, I know. I know it's very difficult, but I'm I'm glad you were honest about it and you, you shared that that very peculiar difficulty that so many people who collect have to deal with where you go, ah, I could sell this and maybe I should because actually it's just going to sit in my house all the time or I need this so badly that I'll sell all the other things in order to keep it. But Clyde, it's really great to have you on and thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. Clyde Terry, and you can go visit, you can go and visit Clyde's store, Clyde on 4th in Melville. I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks very much for being part of Collectomania. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Bye. Thank you, Clyde. Wow, what an interesting story and what an interesting Lovely. guy. Um, if yeah. you're a collector of anything really cool, unusual, interesting, a little bit bizarre, or if you know of such a person, then let us know. Contact at cliffcentral.com. We want to share their mania with the rest of us because we're all collector maniacs at some level. Collector mania brought to you by the South African Gold Coin Exchange and the Scoin Shop. You can check them out at scoinshop.com. Cliffcentral.com.